So John 20, uh, starting at verse 11 and, and reading through to verse 31. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, being one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, Thanks, Caleb. Uh, It'd be really good to keep your Bible open here at John uh, chapter 20. Uh, Over this time of Easter, we've been thinking about the victory that Jesus has won through the cross and the empty grave. And... We're going to be continuing on that theme this morning. Uh, younger boys and girls, uh, even older ones, and even parents. Uh, there is a kid sheet this morning. Uh, I help you to follow along with where we're going in the sermon. They're available on the welcome desk if you haven't got one and you want to go uh, and grab one. Let's uh, pray as we get before we get into these words, shall we? Lord God, we thank you 
Uh, We thank you that we have this time now to have your word open and to consider it and to think about these events around the resurrection of Jesus. Look, God, we pray that you would use your word and that it would work powerfully in our lives. That you would point us again uh, to the wonder of Jesus. Lord God, that you would shape our lives accordingly. We pray that the Holy Spirit would be powerfully at work. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Up on the screen there, you will uh, see uh, a pretty iconic image in Australian history. It's part of a uh, film clip that is nearly 75 years old. It comes from the day that victory uh, on the Pacific was announced in Australia, in Sydney. All over the world, an announcement went out that finally... Finally, the war was over. All of that anxiety, that worry, that death and destruction that had finally come to an end. And how did people respond? They responded with exuberant joy, with dancing, with celebration, with gladness. There might even be some people here Maybe not many, but some who could share their own experiences of what it felt like to have the end of this incredibly destructive war announced and proclaimed. Over the last week, we have been looking at the battle and the victory that has been won by Jesus through the cross and through the empty tomb. Last week on Palm Sunday, We saw Jesus as he came into Jerusalem, coming as the conquering king. The one who comes to put this world right again. All of creation, undoing the curse of sin. And starting with the lives of everyday people like you and me. On Friday, we saw the incredible news that as Jesus was lifted up, he was casting out the prince of this earth the evil one. He was breaking his power so that people can be drawn to Jesus. People can come back to God. Well, today we want to have a think about what that victory means in the lives of people who love and trust Jesus. What difference does it make for people who put their faith in this victorious conquering Jesus, who has defeated sin and undone the curse and risen from the dead. What does it mean for you and me? And we're going to do that by having a look at these three interactions that Jesus has with his followers on that first Easter Sunday. With Mary, then with the wider group of disciples, And finally with Thomas. Each of them highlighting something different and amazing that the victorious Jesus does in the lives of his people. Showing this to be the greatest life-changing event and experience that there has ever been. 
So let's start there with Mary. Mary, at the start of chapter 20, who had been one of the first to get up early in the morning and go to the tomb where they had laid the body of Jesus. She got there and realized that the stone had been rolled away and she had raced back to the disciples to tell them that this has gone on. Two of those disciples are then taken off themselves down to the tomb, seen that it was open, seen that it was empty, and gone back. She had followed them and she stayed there. Now, I don't know if you noticed that while we were reading through the account, but there is one word that keeps cropping up again and again to describe Mary standing by that tomb, weeping. It's there twice in verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb and she wept as she stooped to look into it. The angels who speak to her uh, in, verse 13, in verse 13 say, Woman, why are you weeping? Jesus, when he speaks to her in verse 15, says, Woman, why are you weeping? Mary is absolutely distraught. She's been distraught over the events of the last few days. This Jesus who had healed her, had cast demons out of her, who had accepted her and loved her and taught her, this Jesus had been hung up on a cross to die. This Jesus looked like was gone. And on this day, she weeps in particular because she doesn't know what they have done with her, his body. Where have you taken his body? She's distraught, standing there, not understanding. But what happens in verse 16? Have a look. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. A little bit earlier on in this gospel, this gospel that John writes, he describes Jesus as talking about himself as the good shepherd. He's the good shepherd, he says, that lays down his life for his sheep. He's the good shepherd who loves his people. He's the good shepherd who knows who are his own. He says he knows his sheep and he calls them by name. And what does this risen, victorious shepherd do? He calls out her name. He knows her. And in that act, her eyes are open. Raboni, she says, or which John says, says, teacher. All of a sudden, that grief and that weeping is gone. Here, standing in front of her, is her Savior, her Lord, and her King. Now, the little interaction that Jesus has next with her can seem a little bit out of place. Some take it to be a rebuke, but I, I, I don't think it is. Verse 17, Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, 
I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. What's Jesus doing? He's reshaping the kind of relationship that Mary and all his followers are going to have with him. It's not a relationship that relies on Jesus being here, being around, being physically present. It's a relationship that's going to be with an ascended, risen, triumphant king. He is going to be there for his disciples and his followers. He is going to comfort them in their weeping and their mourning. There are a lot of things in life, aren't there, that can cause us grief. Lots of things that can make us weep. We can be burdened by our own failings, our own sinfulness and our weakness and our inability to follow Jesus more closely. Other people hurt us, whether that's deliberately or it's done on accident. The actions and the words and the behaviors of people, they can cut deeply. We can grieve over the fallen state of our world and all those things that we see going on and the lives of people being destroyed. We can mourn at the loss of people who we love. We grieve when people close to us turn their back on the Lord Jesus and walk away. So what does it mean that Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended to the Father and reigns triumphant over heaven and earth? It means He's alive. It means his body doesn't lie cold in a grave. He's not distant and removed. He is the good shepherd who knows those who are his own. Who loves his children. And who calls them by name. He knows every grief and sorrow. He knows every struggle and heartache and pain. He knows our moments of weakness and failing. He knows and He loves and He cares and He comforts. He's with us still by His Spirit. He comforts us in our sorrows by His Word and through His people. 2 Corinthians 1 puts it this way, For as we share abundantly in this Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. It would be great to stand up here today and say that because of the resurrection of Jesus, every single one of us will never experience pain and suffering again. That is going to come. That will come when Jesus returns. And establishes his kingdom forever. But until he does, 
the risen triumphant Jesus knows us, loves us, he calls us by name. Well, the scene moves on there from Mary. She's told to go and tell the disciples about what's happening. She does. It says there in verse uh, 18. And then we come to the second interaction that Jesus has that day. And it's with a wider group of disciples. And if Mary was marked by weeping, the disciples are marked by fear. Have a look there at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They are worried, anxious, fearful. They're behind a closed door. What if what happened to Jesus could actually then now happen to them? There's all this talk of this body being, being removed. What if they get the blame for that? What if, what if the authorities put that on them? What's going to happen? And into that room and into that fear steps Jesus. And what does he say? Peace. Peace. It's there twice. It's there again there in verse 19. Peace be with you. It's there again in verse 21. Peace be with you. It'll be there again eight days later when he speaks to Thomas. Peace be with you. Jesus doesn't scold them for their fear. He doesn't rebuke them and say, what, what are you doing so afraid? I, I told you that I'd die and I'd come back again. He's patient and he's gracious and he gives his followers peace. Hearts that are anxious are made still Everything is okay because Jesus is with them. And more than that, he, he breathes on them in verse 22. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He gives them this little foretaste of the day of Pentecost, the day when the Holy Spirit would come on them in power. And he points to them, to the way that his peace and his power is going to be with them through the coming of the Holy Spirit. Before he went to the cross, he said that when I go, I will leave with you another helper. Who will that helper be? The Holy Spirit of God. He would be the one that would encourage and strengthen and bring peace. And not only that, with the helper comes a commission. As the Father has sent me, he says in verse 21, even so I am sending you a boldness to announce the victory of Jesus to the world. Can you see the change that is going on here? From fear and hiding to peace and announcing. From being timid and afraid, from meeting behind a locked door, uncertain about what to do next, to encouragement and commission. Go and announce this victory that I have won. Go and announce that people can have their sins forgiven and be set free. Now we live in a time that is becoming increasingly hostile to the gospel. 
the exclusive claims of Jesus to be the way, the truth, and the life, they are not at all popular in our society. We're considered intolerant people for holding views such as this, for saying that there is a God and there's only one way to him, for being real about hell and about punishment for those who don't put their faith in Jesus. We're considered narrow-minded for considering the Bible, the Word of God, and an authority to shape our lives. It's considered hateful to say that people are sinful and must give an account to God. There's so much that we want to hide from in this world. So much about our faith in Jesus that we'd, we'd rather not make public because it just puts us out there to be shot at. We're tempted sometimes to only speak of the easy bits. What does it mean for us that Jesus has risen victorious from the grave? What does it mean that He has sent the Holy Spirit into each and every one of us? It means in the end, to fear and hiding. An end to lock doors and silence. It means peace, boldness, and encouragement. Not to proclaim the condemnation of people around about us. To proclaim that light has come into this dark world. To announce a great victory over sin and death and Satan. That by people putting their hope in Him can have their sins forgiven and can live in the light of Christ. He's given us the Spirit, the Helper. And Jesus works through the witness of His people so that people confess their sins and put their hope in Him. There's a victory to announce that is greater than the end of any war. A victory that means life and peace and hope for all those who put their trust in Jesus. But as we carry on reading, we realize that there was one disciple who wasn't there that day. His name was Thomas. And if Mary was marked by weeping and the disciples by fear, then Thomas is marked by doubting. Verse 26, if you want to have a look there. We've seen the Lord, but he says, unless I see that his hands and the mark of his nails, I will never believe. He says, unless I see this for myself, there is no way that I'm going to believe that it's true. And what happens eight days later when Thomas is there and Jesus appeared? Jesus rebukes Thomas for his doubt. Well, no, actually. Just like he was gracious with Mary and patient with the disciples, Jesus is gracious and patient with a doubter too. Jesus provides the evidence and Thomas's doubt is turned into worship. My Lord and my God. 
my suspicion is that we struggle to know how to deal with doubt as followers of Jesus. We struggle to know how to deal with it when somebody close to us is doubting. It makes us anxious and worried. We struggle to know how to deal with it in our own lives. My guess is that everyone here has doubted at some point. Whether that's small and niggly, whether it's large and, and life-shaking. We've all struggled with that. We don't want to tell other people sometimes. We're worried about what they're going to think of us. That we'll be judged for not being a strong Christian. We, fear, we worry about naming it out loud ourselves in case it becomes something even bigger than it already is. So often we hold our doubts quietly and on the inside, not knowing where to take it and what to do with it. But Jesus knows how to deal with it. Jesus loves doubting disciples too. Jesus is gracious and patient. And he works with us to bring conviction. What does it mean that Jesus has risen victorious from the grave? Well, it doesn't mean the end of doubts. But it means that there is one to take our doubts to. One who is gracious and patient and kind. One who works to bring faith, belief and conviction with us. But not in the same way that he did with Thomas. You notice at the end there what he, what he says to Thomas. He says, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Well, how can our faith be strengthened and encouraged and built up? How can our doubts be, 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 be dealt with if we don't get to see Jesus? Well, in the next couple of verses, John, who writes this, he explains the purpose of his letter. Verse 31, he says, But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Why does John slot this in here? Why not as a wonderful conclusion right at the end of his, of his book? Why not at the start? Why, why does he slot this in here? Because he wants to show us how Jesus deals with us today. In our weeping, in our fear, and in our doubt. He deals with us wonderfully and graciously and powerfully through his word. Through the written, revealed word of God. The risen, triumphant, victorious Jesus deals with each and every one of his disciples. He comforts those who mourn. He brings peace and boldness to those who fear. He brings faith to those who doubt. He reigns and he rules. He knows each of his own.
He knows what we struggle with. He knows what we're anxious about. He knows what gets us down. And yet, He knows how to deal with each and every one of us. Wonderfully, graciously, and powerfully through His Word. Weeping and fear and doubt can sometimes be the very reasons why we withdraw from God and His Word and the church as people. When we go through these things, we can sometimes feel like our faith is deficient. Like God wants nothing to do with us because we're not living these imaginary, triumphant Christian lives that everybody else seems to be living. But maybe they're the very things that draw us back to Jesus. Back to His Word. Back to the One who has conquered sin and death. Back to the one who deals with us graciously and patiently and kindly. Back to our Savior. Let's pray to Him now. Lord God, we thank You that this victory over sin, Satan and death, thank You that it completely and utterly transforms our lives. It gives us hope where there was once hopelessness. It gives us comfort where there was mourning. It gives us boldness where there was fear. It gives us encouragement where there was discouragement. We pray that today and every day we would be brought, drawn back to our gracious Saviour Jesus Christ. That we would find life in His name and in Him alone. We ask this in His wonderful name. Amen.